Leviticus 10. Yeah, I think it was Leviticus 10 on the 11th or something. <laughs> on okay. the, it was Le- with Leviticus on the 10th, that's it. Attention all personnel. Tonight's movies are Firstborn of Godzilla, Godzilla and the Bobby Soxer, and a special screening of The Mash Files, starring Seabus John and Seabus Brian. For more information, go to www.themashfiles.com or for questions and comments, send to mashfiles4077 at gmail.com. That is all. Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of The Mash Files. I am your host, Seabus Brian, here with... Seabus John. And we're here to break down season three of the hit TV show, MASH. First of all, any corrections that you want to do from the last one? Because, you know, I don't make mistakes or at least admit them. You just pre- you basically just enunciated like William Shatner. That's a big flaw in my book. Oh, well, you know. Sometimes. <laughs> That's how. It comes out. Uh, I could do Christopher can... Walken, too. Maybe no, I'll do please. that later. No, no, no. No, no. No Christopher Walken. <laughs> no, um, I can't think of anything. Okay, you didn't um, because I think in the I think in the post editing that you did, I think we got rid of some stuff that wasn't necessary. <laughs> yeah, so. I have like a whole episode of uh, edited out stuff, which we should actually we should, we should, we should put throw that, that all together. together. Yeah, that'll be a blooper reel. Yeah, do it. Uh, yeah, okay, we'll so first of all, uh, I'd like to welcome everyone to the show, and I would like to say that there are a heck of a lot of countries out there that are listening to our little show. So we have listeners in the United States, of course, that's where we are. We have listeners in the United Kingdom, which I found out today this this particular the, the app or whatever that we use our distributor uh, it it continue it says that the UK is also Northern Ireland and Scotland and England. So we have listeners from that whole area. We got Canadian listeners. We've got Australian listeners. Good day. We have German listeners, Denmark, Norway, Bosnia, Chile, Ireland, Netherlands, and New Zealand. Welcome, one and all. Thank you so much. We are very pleased. That is quite awesome and a lot more of a reach than I thought we would ever get. But shall we get started yes. with episode one, The General Flipped at Dawn, first released on September 10th, 1974, General Bradford Steele arrives at the 4077 and surprises everyone with his loony antics. Directed by Larry Gelbart, written in part by Everett Greenbaum, who wrote the teleplay for Walter, which was the spinoff. Yep. Sort of. Yeah, it was a spinoff of, of MASH. After MASH? Was, was Gary Berghoff in After MASH? I think he did make an appearance or two, yeah, yes. Okay. But this was definitely this was like he was trying to be a detective or a police officer or something in Walter. In Walter he, I yeah. believe, was police officer. Yeah. yeah, it didn't make it past the, the pilot. pilot though. Yeah. So quick trivia, what was uh General Steele's middle name? Hmm. Uh Marjorie? <laughs> no. <laughs> not now, Marjorie. I'm, yeah, I'm not expecting now. I'm the, troops. the troops. Yeah, no. His no. middle name. No, I do not recall. General Bartford Hamilton Steele. Hamilton. Three E's, not like a Like the row. blender. Yes. <laughs> yep, that's three E's, not all in a row. Yes. 
Uh, let's see, my notes for this, uh, as the ambulance door closes in the opening of the episode, I believe, Hawk mentions Lenox Hill Hospital at 71st and 3rd, and go, because he's yelling at the driver. Step on it. In New York City, there is a Lenox Hill Hospital, but it is located to East 77th and Park, but there is an urgent care at 71st and 3rd. Now, whether or not he actually met the urgent care, I don't know, but he was close. I wonder if urgent care has actually existed back in the 50s. <laughs> Maybe. My guess is probably I don't know. not. But. Uh, who won the homemade cesspool boat race? Attention. Yeah. <laughs> All personnel taking part in the model yacht race report to the cesspool. I weren't so beat, I'd go. I have no idea. <laughs> Private Norman Polanski. Oh, my God. I His remember. yacht was called the American <laughs> Beauty Dream. Okay. And there's a laugh track in the OR. Yeah. This is the first appearance of Frank's mother's frame slash picture. Yep. Although I don't think it comes into play in this episode. Mm. At some point, it does get stolen or ruined or something. No, actually, that was stolen from the first episode. Or, I'm sorry, from season one, I Hate a Mystery. That was the one where Hojan oh, was stealing okay. people's trinkets. I know at some point it was stolen. Yep. Uh, this, in the background at least, is the first appearance of Rosie's Bar yep. here as we open the season. General Steele states that he is 62. Harry Morgan was 59 at the airing of this episode. Hmm. And the signpost says Coney Island, L.A., Tokyo, Burbank, Decatur, San Francisco, and Indianapolis. It occurs to me, you just mentioned that um, he said he was 62. But it's funny because much later in the series, um, there's an episode where they get a batch of wounded. Two soldiers have more or less the same injury. Hawkeye operates on one, Potter operates on the other. Hawkeye's patient makes it okay. The other one, uh, the one that Potter did, Hawkeye had to go back in and do some cleanup surgery, and Potter was really upset about that to the point that he brought in Sidney Freeman because he felt like he was losing his touch. And he, I remember him saying something that he, you know, asked him, he says, how are you, Sherman? He's 62. Yes, yep. yes, because we do have the introduction of Harry Morgan playing a character on MASH. Yes. And we were discussing this, and I forgot to look it up. Maybe the listeners could... To chime in, uh, you can reach us at mashfiles4077 at gmail.com or just go to themashfiles.com and that will take you anywhere you need to go. Before you say it, you're talking about what we were talking about at breakfast this morning? Yes. I have a note here. With the announcement that McLean Stevenson was leaving the series, Harry Morgan was brought to guest star in the show to see how he would work with the rest of the cast. Okay, so they knew that he was leaving at the beginning of the... Okay, yes. And, of course, we have the famous line, Not now, Marjorie. I'm inspecting the troops. When Klinger is trying to get his Section 8, which he already got last season, and threw away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, let's see what do I have here. I have some first and only appearances by Teddy Wilson as Warrant Officer Martin Williams. He was the chopper pilot. Uh, Dennis Erdman as Private Harrison, who was a wounded soldier. And also Brad Trumbull as Colonel Atkins, who was the MP at uh, Hawkeye's little hearing or whatever there in the swamp, or in the mess tent. In this episode, we see Wayne Rogers playing the ukulele, or the yep. ukulele, if you say it correctly. And it looks like he's really playing it, I think. Uh, Hawkeye refers to Radar as Cato. Do you know who Cato is? He was the sidekick. He was the sidekick of the Green Hornet. Okay. 
in the comics and, and well, later in the TV show that was a spinoff of the 66 Batman. So let's see, this would be the only episode where Harry Morgan appears on screen with McLean Stevenson and Wayne Rogers. Of course, both actors would leave at the end of series uh, season three and he would... Uh, spoiler alert! I know! You know I, I'm sure that anybody who's listening probably already aware of all of this, but um, there is the possibility that the title for this episode was based on a movie called The General Died at Dawn, and that was from 1936. He, um, Harry Morgan won an Emmy for his guest role as General Steele. Oh, did he? He did. Good. Yep. And let's see. Um, he played General Grant in How the West Was Won in 1962. Ah, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, Harry Morgan nominated for an Emmy as Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series a total of 11 times. The first was for December Bride in 59. And the remaining 10 nominations were for roles on MASH, the first guest starring as General Bartford Hamilton Steele in 1974, and the remaining nine nominations for his role as Colonel Sherman T. Potter from 75 to 83, where he won only once in 1980. Really? Mm-hmm. Only once? Wow. He, d- he, okay. he earned it. He did, he did good. I guess. Um, something else that was uh, a little... Well, I mean, I realize, you know, the devil's in the details, but... When asked about the flight time to the front, Warrant Officer Williams responds, 20 minutes. And given the top speed of a Bell 47 is around 100 miles per hour, the distance of the flight would be approximately 25 to 30 miles. It is said throughout the series that the 4077 is three miles from the front, so the flight time would have been about two minutes. (laughs) Details. I know. (laughs) Um, Let's see. This would be the fifth appearance by Lynette Meddy, this time as Nurse Baker. And let's see, um, oh yes, there is a scene in the episode where uh, Bartford Steele, or General Steele has decided that the MASH needs to be mobile and they're going to move the camp. Well, in the one scene, he you see him standing, I guess, sort of near like a what looks like a swamp, water, whatever, little lake bed. And uh, he, he was on the line, he said something, as, as you can see, this is better place, easier logistics, even though he's tripping over himself trying to get back up on ground. Yeah. The funny thing was, is that it, they say it may, they try to make it out that it's like it's a far distance from the camp. However, if the camera operator in that scene would have panned 45 degrees to the left, you would have seen the 4077. Oh, was it the creek? The, the creek bed that runs along behind the, the mash Malibu set. Creek. Correct. As they like to call it, that we actually saw. Yep. Saw it. And we hope to see it again. Oh, we will. We will, we, we so. will. So I have here that uh, General Steele, he says that the, the Romans defeated Hannibal in 202 B.C. because of waste. Was waste defeated Hannibal at the Battle of Zama. Hannibal was defeated by the Romans because he, they, they flanked his army. Okay. And General Steele also likes to predict the end, uh, an early end of the war if what does not happen. If it rains. Mm, rains and we all get wet. Mm-hmm. All right, the General states... A radish will never stand in the way of victory. Marshal Ferdinand Jean Marie Foch, French general from 1851 to 1929, did not say this. Did say that the most powerful weapon on earth is the human soul on fire. If I'm not mistaken, there is an aircraft carrier named after Marshal Foch. Cool. And the general sings the song Mississippi Ugh. Mud. Ugh. Written in 1927 by Harry Burgess and first sung by Bing Crosby. Probably without some of the lyrics. <laughs> I would hope they would have changed them a little it, bit. It does have a few lyrics in it that are a little... <laughs> yeah. Even some of the ones that he sings. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, at the end of the episode, when Hawk, Hawkeye does it, they but they change... Yeah. He changes his uh, the, the lyrics yep. to not say things. This is the uh, McLean Stevens and Harry Morgan also starred in the Disney film... 
The Cat from Outer Space in 1978. Harry Morgan played General Stilton in that. Steel Stilton? Good yeah, he likes to play generals, I guess. <laughs> well, he played General Grant. I mean, he's, he's played three of them now. He's getting, he's getting good at this. Warrant Officer Martin Williams, the helicopter pilot, states that his chopper uses 20 gallons of fuel per hour. This is erroneous. The Bell H-13 helicopter uses six gallons per hour. Hmm. Episode 2, Rainbow Bridge, first aired nine, uh, September 17th, 1974. Our heroes miss out on their three-day Tokyo R&R due to wounded coming in. And then they volunteer to retrieve nine wounded wounded GIs from the Chinese. First appearance by Mako as Dr. Lin Tam. This would be the first of four appearances where he would go on to play different characters each time in the later seasons. This episode also fa- off, also contains your favorite song. Uh, shut up. Using, <laughs> using the guitar chords G, A minor, G, A minor, and D from Captain Spaulding playing... Come on, your favorite song. Oh, Tokyo. <laughs> oh, Tokyo. They got some sake and sashimi and some clean sheets. So oh, come on, no. Come on, no. Come on, no. Yeah, Tokyo's a town that I love the best. East, maybe east and west, maybe west. Get about the twain, it'll drive you insane and teach you things you never knew before. Yes, that was Loudon Wainwright the Tokyo. third. <laughs> Is this his first appearance? Uh yes. Wow. He would go on to play, I wanna say I wanna say he makes maybe two or three more appearances. He is just kind of in there sporadically. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I thought um season three. Was I watching season four? Four, I don't remember. He popped up again somewhere, like either late in the season, just like out of nowhere. I was like, "Oh, okay." I'll have to look that up, but I don't think so. I don't he think he. Like, I don't think he appeared in later seasons. I, well, I mean, later in this season. Oh, he's oh, like yeah. standing in the corner, and, yeah, no, and he's, one of yeah. them's like, "Oh, take over for me, Spalding." Yep. And he's got the mask on. And he's just like, "Mm-hmm, sure." Mm-hmm. I don't think he sings in that episode though. Uh, let's see. I have down that this episode reuses some footage of a helicopter landing where the pilot is wearing a cowboy hat, originally from the episode The Cowboy from season one. I think they did that in season two as well. I think you're right. They? I think you remember. Well, and that. the 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 aforementioned seventy um, first and you know third stat you know you know and step on it or whatever where he jumps on the side of the ambulance as they're going down the hill from the helipad. That footage there gets used several times. Ah, thirty six hours, four hundred and seventy three wounded. That's that's yeah. a long time to work. I'd still like to know where they put them all because, as far as I know, there's only ten beds in post op. <laughs> They're bunk beds, I guess. <laughs> Margaret gives Frank a small sidearm that her mother gave to her father on their wedding night. My little shot from her big shot. <laughs> Your loving husband, Lieutenant Colonel Alvin F. Houlihan, regular army. So far, there was a writing crop and the handgun that this lovely couple gave to each other on their wedding night. Mm -hmm. And since you brought it up, I'll go ahead and mention a note on there. The song, being sung by Captain Spaulding, O Tokyo, has the original title of North Korea Blues. The song was composed by Wainwright himself. Mm -hmm. He is a singer-songwriter who has a lot of albums, and I think he's still even doing it today. And this episode would mark the 50th episode of MASH. Oh, nice. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was, and knowing how much we seem to mention the Marx Brothers, the character Captain Spaulding is a hom- an homage. There, I almost did it again. 
is an homage to Groucho Marx's character of the same name from the movie Animal Crackers. Animal Crackers. I need to watch all those. Yep. Anna Linalda is a well-known fan of the Marx Brothers. I put a note here, Brian, you mentioned in our first podcast whether I thought Alan Alda took comedy notes from the Marx Brothers. I think he did. Yeah, I think you're probably yeah. right. Uh, I liked this episode. It was a good mixture of characters, good storyline. Uh, really shows the heart uh, that, that Trap and uh, Hawkeye have. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a little off character for Klinger to join the mission, but again, his character changes and, you know, at... at Yes, he's trying to get out of the army, but it's not like he is uh, derelict in his duties. You know, I mean, well, this still, is true, you know, but helps. it is mentioned that sometimes those dangerous missions get you more points and you get rotated out more quickly. Ah. And I think that's part of the, re- the only reason why Frank went, because there was after they were announced that they were going to do this, Frank only volunteered after Houlihan had mentioned to her. It's like, well, Frank, this could mean, you know, a commendation, maybe even a promotion. This is true. It's yeah. another example of, of Margie influencing Frank mm-hmm. to go do something. I have a note here. When the doctors, when they approach the Chinese doctor, played by Mako, with and his accompanying troops, Trapper mentions that the Chinese soldiers are carrying burp guns and that they fire 30 rounds a second. The truth is, it was closer to 15 rounds a second. The guns could fire 900 rounds a minute, which would be divide 900 by 60 rounds. If it fired that many bullets, eventually the barrel would melt. <laughs> it might. Yeah. That's a lot of heat. That's that's a lot of rounds. It is. Um, I found something interesting with, with the the distance that they were traveling and whatnot. Uh, the MASH 4077 compound is supposed to be in Weijanbu, mm-hmm. South Korea. Yep. It is 214 miles as the crow flies. From there to the China border, Rainbow Bridge is supposed to be 50 miles in enemy territory and 20 miles from the China border. Mm -hmm. And that seems impossible unless when the Chinese started the the coming into the war for the for the North that they moved their border around or something. You know, Mm -hmm. they gained land and said, "Well, now this is China." Maybe, but uh, that those numbers was like, "Whoa, they're not going that far," or "Are they?" or whatever. Yep. Just seems a little. Well, it's funny you mention that because I have a similar note. I said the doctors are supposed to be driving into Chinese territory. To do so, they would have had to drive through North Korea for at least three hundred miles. This is not likely, right? And let's see what <laughs> else do I have here. Ah, uh, yes, a, a potential goof when Frank hands handles Margaret's gun. Right, she squeals. Forget. Yep. <laughs> when <laughs> when Frank handles Margaret's gun, his finger immediately goes to the trigger, as it does every time he takes a gun in hand. Even doctors would have had basic firearms training, and that is considered a major safety violation. Oh, yes, definitely. And he also has the gun pointed directly at Margaret's head very quickly in one scene. Oh, well. Don't do that. <laughs> Not good. Not yeah. good. Good episode. Yeah, for somebody who thought that he was good at you know handling firearms, he demonstrated that, no, he wasn't. He's still Frank. <laughs> He's still Frank. Good episode. I like yeah, this episode. Yes. And uh, uh, we, you know, we did... Um, we did post on one of the MASH Facebook groups we're members of to say, okay, where exactly was Rainbow Bridge? Mm-hmm. And there were some responses that, one of which I remember the, the the concrete bridge that we walked across there in the park that had several tunnels, if you want to call them that, going under the water could travel through. It was that one, I think, is where maybe Rainbow Bridge might have been. Uh, you mean where the the metal ramp was, like the big concrete slab, and then it stops... I abruptly, think so. and then it had that walkway, sort of a gang, gangplank, gangway. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that might have been it. Don't think that was it. I, nope. I, I 
think I remember seeing somebody said, oh, it's where the dam is now. They showed a dam area that, you know, that wouldn't have been there. And then this is sort of the area where it was. But uh, nothing concrete. No. Except for the dam. Yeah, no, it, yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it was one of those things. But um, still, if, if there's anybody out there listening that had, can confirm where exactly Rainbow Bridge was in the park, um, email us. Let us know. Yeah, yeah. We'd love to know. Okay. Episode three, Officer of the Day, directed by Hai Averback. He's been, he directed a few of them. Uh, September 24th, 1974. Hawk is Officer of the Day. Klinger needs R&R and the return of Colonel Flagg, but not the good Colonel Flagg. You clowns are pushing me around pretty good. Igor almost kills Radar. Igor. Igor. Thank you. I always say Igor. Igor. No, Icor. <laughs> Igor. Yeah. Showgirls. Showtime. Yeah, that too. <laughs> he almost kills Radar and gets his bu- <laughs> gets his bugle instead. So the opening shot. Oh yes. The opening yes. shot is is Radar playing his bugle uh, for the for the company attention or wake up or whatever. And Fire the salute, Private. Yeah. He's like, but sir, it, the angle. Radar and like nah, nah, nah. So he shoots it and it, it blows Ting. the bugle out of Radar's hand, which I really that the way they did that was. Oh well I there was nice. there was some there was some commentary about that that I heard and apparently the sound that you hear was actually added in post. I would think so. Yep. Uh, no, the cannon didn't actually fire at and hit yeah. the yeah. The radar just gets that would have probably so taken his hand. Mad, off. just like <laughs> fire ceremonial salute. But sir, the angle. Fire the salute, private. Yes, sir. Corporal, little decorum, please. Uh, so yes, he's officer today. After being made officer today, Hawk exits the swamp and walks past the tent, which he can, which we can see through into the swamp. <laughs> Despite Hawk just leaving trap inside the swamp, he is nowhere to be seen from the outside. Right. So it was filmed on the stage when they're inside, mm-hmm. when he's going through his little routine of what he'll carry. And then he goes outside, puts the armband around his arm, and then they cut to the, uh, the ranch. This is the ranch. Yep. So let's see, another appearance by Jerry Fujikawa as the Korean tailor. And, of course, he was the father of the two boys that were stealing everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> another appearance by Edward Winter, as you mentioned, only now he's playing Colonel Flagg as opposed to Captain Halloran. Yes. Uh, first appearance of Richard Lee Sung as the wounded Korean. This is me. Can you identify yourself? This is me. <laughs> another a Kim Luck. Yes. Another Good appearance one. by Dennis Troy as Private Carter, and he was actually credited this time. Uh, let's see. I have a note here. When Flag first sees Hawkeye, he guesses that Hawkeye's name is Perkins. Captain Perkins was one of the aliases used by Trapper's uh, G2 friend, Vinnie Pratt, in a smattering of intelligence, the last episode of season two. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yes, we have five Kim Lux in this episode, but we only see three of them. Yep. <laughs> I always said that I like Colonel Flag. He's a really good character. I did not remember this episode. Mm-hmm. He is a horrible person in this episode, and I don't think he's very Captain Flag-ish, you know, as we know him as being, you know, Colonel Flag. In this one, he's like, you know, fix up that wounded man so I can kill him. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. Like, yeah, no, and then he uses the G word. Mm-hmm. Not good. It's like, oh, they, they should have just used a different character. But then again, this is only his second appearance as Colonel Flag. Third this, I overall. Believe that, uh... Because yeah, first think yeah. he was Holleran, then he was Flag, right? And then he's Flag again, but it's not really 
what we know as Colonel Flag in later episodes. Or Ralph even, and Sam from even uh, previous episodes. Yeah, Ralph, Ralph and Sam from uh, the yes. Warner Brothers. I have a link. I have a lengthy comment here. It says when uh, Colonel Flag is in the mess tent with Hawkeye, Trapper, Major Burns, and Major Houlihan trying to get the doctors to sign a release so he can take custody of the wounded prisoner, Major Burns is willing to sign the release, but he points out that the form needs to be signed by two uh, two more doctor signatures, inferring that the only doctors in the entire camp are him, Hawkeye, and Trapper, who have made it clear they are unwilling to sign the release form. In reality, there would have been many other doctors to have gone for. That second signature, since a mass unit during the Korean War was to, I think they were supposed to have a minimum of like 14 doctors, 12 nurses, two medical service off, uh, corps officers, one warrant officer, and 93 enlisted personnel. Or he could have even gone to Spalding, who was there. Yeah, supposedly, um, yeah. Uh, uh, Colonel Henry, and not that he probably wouldn't have signed it, but he yeah. could have done it. Yeah. yeah, he could have. I again, I would think that Henry strikes me in at least his character. He would have signed it, but only because he really would have had no choice. I mean, he, yeah. yeah, he could have refused. Yeah. He could have, right? Um, but I just he strikes me as he might have signed it. If they're both colonels, though, hmm. that's a good question. Well, let's see. If Colonel Flagg was a full colonel, whereas Henry was a lieutenant colonel, he was. Mm-hmm. Oh, lieutenant okay. colonel Henry Blake. Uh, I have a note here that says radar dismisses the guards. And is a corporal high enough to high enough rank to do that? I'm trying to think what guards he was dismissing. It was the ones that would usually walk the the perimeter, you know, walk the camp at night. Orders for the guards, sir. Be brave, be loyal, be true, and keep your white flags handy just in case. Dismissed. Good night, guards. Sleep well. Well, I given how informal a mash would be, say compared to you know, a, you know, a, uh, I don't know the Pentagon, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, get, I can't imagine that those little details would have been too important. They wouldn't have True. Uh The first wounded LIP is taken to the hospital for stitches and tetanus shot. Why did he leave? <laughs> Why did he and Radar leave Radar's office and go outside instead of going through the doctor, the OR tours, to get to the hospital? Because you know they're in his office, which mm-hmm. the clean room is right through those doors, right behind them. But they go outside. Only to go back into the same building, basically. Mm, okay. No, you're right. There. Yeah, Hawk or um, Hawkeye. Yeah, Radar's office is basically it sits in between what is supposedly the OR and post op. The it's officer of the day office? No, no, the, no, no, not officer of the day. No, Radar's office. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you think of the shape of the building, you've got one wing that's supposed to be the pre op and, and OR, then the other wing is of course the post op. So technically, Radar's office sits in between those two. Yep. So with, of course, Colonel Potter's office, or excuse me, Colonel Blake's office right behind. So, okay, you already mentioned the, it was a continuity issue where, you know, after a conversation with Trapper on stage nine, Hawk exits the swamp where he puts the thing around his, the armband around his arm, and he and Radar walk around the swamp on location. They're at the ranch set only where we see there is nobody inside the swamp. Where'd Trapper and go? There was all no, there was also <laughs> no, no still. Oh, no. There was no still. No. Yep. No. <laughs> yep. Uh, let's see. Why is the gin gone? Yep. <laughs> um, let's see. Another continuity uh, issue. As Frank is inspecting the troops, the ground is completely dry. But a few minutes later, as Radar and Hawkeye leave the swamp, there are mud puddles everywhere and a fairly large amount of rain just fell. As if. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I have, uh, oh, this is the episode with, with Trapper's suit. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> the horizontal lines instead of the, the vertical. The pinstripe suit of all time. Yeah. He's That's a great right. tailor with a lousy sense of direction. I didn't think it looked that bad, actually, with the horizontal. But his $12 suit would have cost him $140 today. Klinger was dressed as a nun, and I wish he would have ran into Father Mokiki yeah, as I, I he was kept... dressed as a nun. Sister Klinger, we're pressing a little, aren't we? Sir, I caught him trying to sneak out of camp. I was just out for a walk. Looking for an all-night novena? I just wanted to get the soul for a few days, sir. What are you trying to do to me, Klinger? I'm officer of the day. You go AWOL to hang it on me. Uh, Radar states he has a brother who yep. was 4F. I don't think he's ever mentioned again. Yep, I have a note about that. Okay. He t- when he's tucking in his teddy bear um, into his bed, he sees that Hawkeye notices the bear and Radar says, belong to my brother. There are no other mentions of Radar having a brother, and in a later episode, Radar tells Hawkeye that his mom just uh, just has my uncle Ed and me. Right. Yeah. Um, so at the end of this episode, they replace the supposed spy mm-hmm. that, that Colonel Flagg is trying to take away to kill. They replace him with Klinger because Klinger needs to get some R&R. Uh, I would like to have known what happened to Klinger when he gets to wherever Colonel Flagg is taking his prisoner and discovers that it's not his prisoner, it's Klinger. What happens with that? Yeah. Uh, also, what happened to the spy? Would they just let him go after he got better? And how long would it have taken for Colonel Flagg to notice this? This this is a good episode, but it leaves a lot of loose ends. Yes. <laughs> it's like, what would happen? I think Klinger probably would have gotten in a lot of trouble. I agree. I would think. Yep. And as I stated previously, I did not like the Colonel Flag in this episode. I do not consider him to be the Colonel Flag character that we all know and love. Let me tell you something. I have a complete record on you. I know every move you make, everything there is to know about you. So what's your step? Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. The last note that I have here, it says, when Hawkeye leaves the swamp and meets Ralph. Morning, Ralph. Morning, Sam. Radar, he puts on his Officer of the Day armband. He wraps it around and connects the two ends with Velcro. Velcro wasn't invented until after the Korean War in 1957 and wasn't widely used until the 60s. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The mm-hmm. hook and loop. Yes. Hook and loop is, is the generic name. Sorry, so Radar. I, me- I, did not mean, I did not mean Ralph. I'm sorry. Ralph. <laughs> I need bigger glasses. I Ralph. I need thicker lenses. <laughs> just, I mean, these things just, here are already thick enough. They could probably, I could pull in, you know, HBO on these just, things. Just increase the font size. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. I could just do a command plus. No, that didn't work. <laughs> yep, that didn't work. All right. Uh, are we ready for episode four? Sure, why not? Why not? Episode four, Iron Guts Kelly. October 1st, 1974, directed by Don Weiss. Weiss? Weiss. Weiss. W-E-I-S, he has directed many episodes of M.A.S.H. Three-star General Robert Iron Guts Kelly visits the 4077 due to their high success rate with the wounded. The general dies in Margie's... Marjorie's? <laughs> Margie's Margaret's? Margaret, I like to call her Marge. Uh, in, in Margaret's company. <laughs> and the general aide tries to find a battle... For him to die in. Okay. Iron Guts Kelly is played by James Gregory, who played Inspector Frank Luge in six episodes of Barney Miller. Hmm. First and only appearance by Keen Curtis as Colonel Wardman. Wardman. For some reason, I thought he was the actor that played in the the um, little orphan Annie. 
he was I think he was playing Daddy Warbucks, but it wasn't him. It was another actor. Oh yeah, no. But I could see King Curtis playing that character. True. So he was in an episode of Night Court as Mr. Klimmer in season five, episode twenty-one, Max Millions, as he played a lawyer. Hmm. Uh, let's see. This would be okay. We mentioned earlier in the episode here that uh, or in the recording that um, we see Rosie's Bar in the background for the first time. Well, it wasn't until this episode where Rosie's Bar was actually mentioned. Ah, yeah. And let's see what else do I have here. While in the OR observing the 4077 surgical staff in action, General Kelly is wearing a surgical gown over his regular clothes, as are Colonel Wortman and Lieutenant Colonel Blake. However, all three have their gowns open in the front. This would have been an absolute no-no in the OR, as their regular clothes would be would you know would not be sterile, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and their exposure could easily spread germs. Mm-hmm. The coordinates that radar states oh, you suck. for three miles northeast of Incheon are longitude seventy, latitude twenty-seven. This is incorrect, as the coordinates are in those coordinates are in northeast India. The Incheon coordinates are thirty-seven. By 126. That that location was near the border of Pakistan, which is over 3,000 miles west of oh, Korea. Oh, yes. Quite, quite far away. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I like this episode. Good episode. Uh, yeah, I liked it. I did a little bit of a, like... Um, a down feeling when the when the general's aide is is basically making up a war or trying to get rockets fired. That's for <laughs> just, the red glare. Just, just yeah, just so he can have this guy who's already dead. It's like how many people have to die for your for your general to have a grand death in battle, mm-hmm. only to die with a bunch of hookers on the side of the road. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it wasn't intentional, but yeah, yeah. At least he acknowledged that uh, he thinks he understands how the general really died. You know, because you could tell. That there were times when, at least early on when they first showed up, that there were times when he would sort of like speak for the general, the colonel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like as if he was trying to protect him or, you know, or whatever and trying to keep him from making a goof. And it's like, yeah, I think I know. I think I know what really happened. But, you know, and that's when, of course, when he wants them to here, you just sign the death certificate. I'll pull up in the details. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, no, that's not. And this, and to their point, they even said, it's like, no, that's not fair to the wounded soldiers who really did die. And he was, and I totally agreed with that. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, I thought that was a little, yeah. The general's aid aiding mm-hmm. the general, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Episode five, O R, October eighth, nineteen seventy four, directed by none other than Gene Reynolds. Drama, pathos, and humor combine when heavy casualties result in long sessions in the O R. First appearance and only appearance by Orlando Dole as the injured Ethiopian soldier. Yeah. Uh, first of three appearances <laughs> by Gene Shalar as the anesthesiologist. And we have another appearance by our, one of our favorite characters, Alan Arbus, as Dr. Sidney Freeman. Always a pleasure. Oh, yes, always. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned Gene Shaler. She will later be seen in, in Season 3, Episode 10 as Frank Burns' wife. Ah, yes, that's right. Yes. yes I think I have a note about that on here, too. as his wife. Yep. We have actor, and writer. It's funny because when you look at her, she's always in a, I think she's in a mask and you can't really see her entire face. And so, you know, because I, when I saw the note about that in some of my research, it's like, that's the same person? Wow. Yeah. You know, I didn't know that. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> actor, writer, Bobby Herbeck appears as a patient who wants to write a letter to his wife. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. 
He wrote the screenplay for the 1990s movie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Really? Yes. He's the always guy, the guy that was write. Yeah, the guy that was saying it's like, okay, to my wife Ellen, it's like the girl in Okinawa didn't mean anything and those two girls in Honolulu. And it's like, when did you have time to get wounded? Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs> and, you know, and, and it's funny you mention that because it almost seemed as though Trapper were almost disappointed or like he was judging this soldier for having so many affairs. It, it just it's he didn't say anything specifically that said, OK, I disapprove of what you're doing. But when he says, when did you have time to get wounded or whatever? He just seemed like he was annoyed by the soldier. When did you find time to get wounded? Bye bye. And I'm like, OK, wait a minute. You have all kinds of affairs with the nurses in camp. Oh, yeah. So I don't it, it nothing he said. It just almost seemed like he was judging the, the soldier for that. Maybe he was thinking, you know, why are you telling her? You know? Like if you're gonna die, I'm assuming that's why he was writing a letter. Yeah. Like, I'm die. Uh, that, yeah. If you're gonna still... die, why tell your wife that you're having all these affairs? Why yeah. do that to her? Just you know, you're dead and fine, whatever. Yeah. But he, well, and I mean, even then, that's when Trapper said, "It's like don't send that." He's like, "He's not gonna, he's not gonna die unless, of course, his wife gets that letter." Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> don't send that off. No laugh track in this episode. Really? Well, I, I mean, it does. If it's all in our or. It's all in the or. Yes. I have Henry performs two surgeries. I'm going to try to say the word, and I'm going to get it wrong. You're going to butcher Thoractomies? it. Thoracotomies? Thoracotomies? Mm-hmm. A cut is made between the ribs to reach lungs or organs. Uh, he performs two of those. One, bowel resection, the removal of parts of the small and large intestines, and a spleen removal. What are we doing, Chief? Far two thoracotomies, bowel resection, a splenectomy. And a partridge in a pear tree. That's a lot to do in meatball surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. The date of this episode can be determined because over the Camp PA, there is an announcement about General Douglas MacArthur's ticker tape parade in New York City. That event occurred on April 20th, 1951. True. Mm-hmm. And let's see, uh, Gene Reynolds was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Directing in a Comedy Series for this episode. For this episode? Yeah. Wow. I'll have to rewatch it to see. Did Mm -hmm. he win or just nominated? He was nominated. I don't know that he won. Um, When they run out of surgical silk for stitches, Margaret complains about them having to use regular sewing thread. Henry asks what would she, you know, suggest using and, you know, his office stapler. It has become common practice to use staples to close the skin after surgery. Definitely. Of course, different kind of staples. So, Absolutely. <laughs> uh, this is the episode where Frank almost removes a man's kidney. kidney. Only kidney. Yes. Uh, I do remember season, it was either season one or season two of The Mash Files. I referenced this particular moment in the series. And I said, I think Frank just kind of laughs it off. Like, oh, oops. I was wrong. Yeah. He's actually rather melancholy about almost killing yeah. this person. So well, I have to give it to Frank. Yes. I, I was a little harsh in my criticism. <laughs> no, he no, he recognized this time that, you know, he, sc- he almost really screwed up. Yeah. And, I mean, he takes responsibility for it. He even apologizes or even says, I want to, th- or not apologizes, he says, I want to thank you for your help on that patient t- talking to Trevor yeah. outside yeah. the OR. In surgery for that long. Goodness gracious. Yep. Um, Yep. First of two appearances by the phrase... Ladies and gentlemen, take my advice. Pull down your pants and slide on the ice. Yep. Yes. Yep. And what episode... We know this was the first episode. Which? What was the second episode that he says this? 
Uh, is it goodbye? Uh, uh, no. Uh, the final episode. The finale. The finale. That's correct. Which is yep. goodbye, goodbye, something, farewell, and, amen. and amen. farewell, and amen. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Yes. Yeah, it would be the last line that he utters before he exits. Stage left. Yes. <laughs> when the injured Ethiopian soldier thanks Hawkeye, Hawkeye says, "That's very Selassie of you." Well, it's highly Selassie of you, sir. Hail Selassie was the emperor of Ethiopia from 1951 to 1954. I had that, but I couldn't figure out how to say it out loud. <laughs> yeah, it's very Selassie is how <laughs> he Selassie. says it. I, I'm just so I'm only going on just how Alan Alda. Yeah, yeah, said yeah. It. But I couldn't remember how he said it. I was like, mm, I'll skip that one. Yep. <laughs> Now, what's interesting, though, is is that you mentioned the, the patient that only had one kidney. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, if a patient came into the military and had both of them and then perhaps had one removed, mm-hmm. they would have sent him home. Oh, yeah. He would not have been allowed to stay. So the fact that he was still there, even though technically losing one kidney would have made him – would have given him 4F status, mm-hmm. he should have already been home. He should have never been. And Or if uh, – like Ron Howard's character – in season one, where he just basically lied about who he was mm-hmm. to fight anyway. I don't know if somebody with only one kidney could get away with that, but they might have. Yeah. And and who knows, they may have just been taking people because they needed them anyway mm-hmm. back then. Yeah, there's a little bit of a goof in here. We mentioned a little bit ago about the uh, ticker tape parade for General MacArthur. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, during one of the OR scenes, there's, of course, the ticker tape uh, parade mentioned on April 20th, 1951. But also, it was mentioned the appointment of Mark W. Clark as commander of the Korean theater. However, that does not happen until May 12th, 1952. Ooh. Yes, yes. And we already know from, I believe, season two, uh, the episode Radar's Report, that at least that episode took place in October of 1951. Mm-hmm. So that was already after MacArthur was removed from command, mm-hmm. and he could not have, as I think happens in this season, visit the 4077. Right. Because it's past the time that he would have been there. Yep. Horse hockey. I had a note here about Margaret's uniform. Okay, this was something mm-hmm. I found in research. That said that if you can vision Margaret standing there in her uniform, her clothing is tailored to her body. Hello, nurse. <laughs> okay. Typically, uniforms, when they're made, they don't take comfort into account. They don't, they're not designed to show, you know, they were, they're designed to be unisex in some ways. So it, it seems to me that it would have not been tailored to fit Loretta Switz's curves. She had a clinger. Is that, is that what she was doing? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Claire. Yeah, she's okay. like, Claire, I need you to do this because, you know, I need to impress Frank. Right. <laughs> so. Open heart massage, which is performed by uh, Hawkeye to try to save a patient, was first performed in 1880. The first success happened in 1901. So that's a lot of trying <laughs> with open heart, mas- or open heart massage, you know, trying to get that old ticker to keep working. Uh, it has a 25% success rate. He really tried hard, but I think he still he lost the patient. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that was the episode um, when uh, Sydney shows up, says, okay, I guess our our poker game is off, and then they say, where are you going? Go yeah, suit you know, scrub up. up yeah. you know? And I, that was when Radar shows up in the OR to let him know that his patient didn't make it. See, to me, Radar should have never done that. He should have waited until after OR was the session was completely yeah, done before he told Hawkeye that because that takes Hawkeye off his game. Definitely. And, I mean, even you can see Sydney immediately looking at him. It's like, okay, 
you know, can you get back in the game? I'm not yeah, ready to solo. And then he says, I'd, I'd like to finish this. And he even says it's ocu- good, good occupational therapy or something to that effect. And he was absolutely right. Take so. your mind off of what's going on. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. A couple of little goofs, both having to do with the same issue. In the first scene, when Frank enters the OR um, to complain about his missing scrub brush, he made one little mistake in that. He wasn't wearing a mask. Oh, well. Yeah, I know. Details, right? <laughs> well, when Sidney delivers his famous line, he pulls his mask down yes. to do the same thing. Shouldn't have done that. Yeah, you see the mask rule kind of fly out the window. So Actors need to be seen. Exactly. <laughs> All right, episode number... I'm sorry, did you have more notes? Nope. Okay, episode six, Springtime, directed hey. by... Don Weiss. Which aired when? <laughs> October 15th, 1974. <laughs> if I don't start it, I don't have the flow. You got second flow, episode, right. second episode of five, written by Linda Bloodsworth. Yeah, okay. Writer of Designing Women and yep. Evening Shade. We covered her on previous episodes, but yep. you know, just throwing that out there. This is going to be a good one because it's got a good writer. It's a beautiful spring day, and the camp takes full advantage. Henry goes golfing. Radar woos a nurse, Lulu. I believe is her name. And Klinger gets married to his high school sweetheart, Laverne, mm-hmm. who has never been mentioned before. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I have here, this is the first and only, first and only appearances by Alex Karras, Karras as Lance Corporal Lyle Wesson. Uh, Mary Kay Place as Lieutenant Louise Simmons. Oh, was she Radar's, too? Yep, she had her, that was her name. And Greg Mabry as Pasco, the guy with the cat. Oh, that's right. She's the one with the glasses. She's the, yep. the co-writer on this yes. episode as well. Mary yep. Kay and Place. Alex, again, I, if I'm butchering his last name, forgive me, Karis. Karis. He would go on to play um, in the series Webster. Remember Webster? He played Mongo in Blazing Saddles and George Panapanapanopoulos. Yeah. The yeah, father of, of Webster. Yeah, Webster. Yep. Yeah. So. Panapanapanopoulos. Uh, let's see. What do I have here? Okay, it's here in some research I found. During MeTV's The Best By Far Marathon, Jamie Farr mentioned that he was running through the field in high heels. Yeah. The heels kept breaking at $35 a pair, so the director finally said he's in high weeds. No one will see his feet. Put him in tennis shoes. Yeah, just running in tennis shoes. Yep. And the hills are alive. Yep. And you mentioned a little bit ago, both the women on the shortway radio, Laverne, and the cornbread lady were played by Mary Kay Place, who also plays Lieutenant Simmons. And co-wrote the episode. Yep. And uh, she would go on. The only thing else, and I know she's done a lot of stuff, but the only thing I know she did is she plays the Surgeon General in a couple of episodes of uh, The West Wing. I oh, okay. That. Yep. Cool. Uh, Radar mentions a Godzilla movie as being played that night. Godzilla movies didn't start until 1954. I believe he says the name of the movie is Firstborn of Godzilla. Uh, Son of Godzilla... Because there is no movie called Firstborn of Godzilla. Son of Godzilla wasn't released in ni- until 1967. Okay. Uh, Hawkeye mentions Fred Warning, who was an American musician, band leader, radio and TV personality, and uh, was a promoter and financial backer and the namesake of the first electric blender, the Warning Blender. Hmm. Okay. I have a couple of lengthy notes here about Alex Karras. Um, As we said, he guest stars in this episode as Marine Lyle Wesson, who shows his appreciation for Hawkeye saving his life by doing various over-the-top favors, one of which was picking up Major Burns and swinging him around Colonel Blake's office (laughs) after Burns mouthed off to Hawkeye one too many times. 
After this incident, Hawkeye chastises Wesson, to which Wesson replies, Lyle bad, do bad things. This references the part he played in Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddles, which opened up in theaters the same year this episode aired. Oh, was it the same year? Yeah. Nice. And the other thing I had here, this episode marked the acting reunion of Alan Alda and Alex Karras. They both starred in the 1968 film Paper Lion about Sports Illustrated columnist George Plimpton's experiences as a player for the NFL team. Or for an NFL team, excuse me. The team that Plimpton played for as a rookie quarterback from Harvard University was the Detroit Lions, where Alan Alda portrayed Plimpton, and Alex Karras was an active NFL player who played defensive tackle. Yes. Uh, Greg Mabry? Yeah, Mabry? he's the, kid, the guy with the cat. Appears in this episode as the unknown soldier with the cat. Mm-hmm. Greg appears again in Season 5, Episode 18, End Run. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh! I have to. Okay, sound like I was purring there for a minute. I'm not a Doberman. Not a Doberman. Okay, uh, there's a story about that, but anyway, uh, let's see here. While Father Mulcahy is telling Hawkeye about the patient that won't let go of the cat, you can see a soldier dumping a bucket of water on another soldier. Oh, yeah, in the background. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Gwen Farrell, who played the role of a nurse, was also a licensed boxing referee. She would also. She was the manager of the weight welt, welterweight. Is that? Is mm-hmm. that I have that welterweight. Right? Okay, boxer Howard Jackson. Interesting. Colonel Blake mentions it will be six p.m. in Toledo and four a.m. in Korea for Klinger's wedding. In fact, it would be five a.m. in Korea for it to be six p.m. in Toledo. Also, it looks rather light outside during Klinger's wedding. You can see mm-hmm. a lot of light outside the it's door true. if it's supposed to be four and or five a.m. or whatever. Hawkeye claimed that the nurse he was he had been dreaming of was a rerun. Oh, sorry I had to wake you. That's all right, Father. The nurse I was dreaming was a rerun anyway. In 1952, all television broadcasts were live. There was no such thing yet as a rerun. This is true. <laughs> I don't know if he had him in the 70s. Well, I guess he would have if he actually mentioned it on the show. Yep. But definitely. Um, let's see. Okay, another, another medical goof. When Hawkeye is called to assist Lance Corporal Wesson in the operating room, he is still wearing the same bloody gloves he used with the previous patient. They no, gloves. no. <laughs> yep. When Radar knocks on the swamp tent door, asking Hawkeye and Trapper for advice, as he enters, you can tell that there is much room between the door and the, or not much room between the door and the camera, as Gary Berghoff can barely open the door and fit between the door and the camera. <laughs> ah, camera in my face. And something that I find hard to believe when he, when Radar was trying to um, talk to or get to know. Um, Lieutenant trying, Simmons? Yeah, Lieutenant Simmons. He he's says, I'm measuring the camp. We lost so many feet or whatever. Last year we had 2,963 feet. I'm sorry, but having been there, oh no. The camp is much bigger than 2,963 square feet. Lieutenant Simmons seems to have her own tent. Yes. This seems unlikely. Eh. Yeah, so. probably not because there was Houlihan's tent and then the nurse's tent. Mm-hmm. And then finally I noted um, at the wedding... Uh, you can clearly see that Lyle's neck injury healed quite rapidly and without a scar. Well, of course. He's yeah. Lyle. <laughs> I guess so. Ugg, ugg. I know, right? <laughs> Neanderthal. <laughs> Neanderthal. That too. Uh, say, next episode, seven, called Checkup. October yeah, 20... Get, get your flow. October 22nd, 1974, my wedding day, not the same year. Directed by Don Weiss... Trapper could be going home because of his ulcer. Spoiler alert. 
Spoiler alert. <laughs> he gave himself the ulcer. Mm-hmm. I've Got a Gal in Kalamazoo was a 1942 hit for Glenn Miller in his orchestra, written by Mac Gordon, also who also wrote At Last. That's a good song. Okay. The thing I noticed, the blue Hawaiian shirt that Radar wears the night of Trapper's party is the same shirt he wore on his date with Lieutenant Simmons in springtime. Ta-da! Well, he's only got one good shirt. I guess. <laughs> okay, I have a lengthy note here. When Hawkeye and Trapper are in Henry's office and Henry gets the bottles of liquor to celebrate Trapper's potentially going home to the States because of his ulcer, Trapper declines any liquor because of the ulcer. And Henry says good boy and tells Raider to go get some milk for Trapper. The wives' tale has always been that milk is good for an ulcer. However, milk may temporarily soothe ulcer pain because it coats the stomach lining, but milk also causes your stomach to produce more acid and digestive juices, which can make the ulcers worse. Yep. I kind of wonder about Trap being so happy that he's going home. And I say that because of the way he handled ceasefire in season one. He wasn't getting on board with everybody being all happy about the ceasefire. He's like, yeah, I'll believe it when I'm home. This whole damn cursed war is over. I'll believe that when I'm back home refusing my first house call. (laughs) You really don't believe it's real? With all my cynical heart. So in this, he's like, oh, you got an ulcer. You're you're probably going home. Yay! He believes it immediately. I think I got a duodenal ulcer. What's the smile for? Trap is not just an ulcer. If you've got one, that's your ticket home. You got a million dollar hole in your belly. Hey. Hey! Hey, hey! That's kind of opposite of his character in season one, but okay. Whatever. Well, but they had they had proof that you know he truly did have an ulcer and mm-hmm. as far as they understood right he was going home only to find he, out of he, course he probably would have been like show me the rule book where it actually says that in section whatever yeah. <laughs> that you know if you have an ulcer you're going home yep which uh i don't know i wonder if people were sent home who had ulcers yep i noticed here there is a scene um where hawkeye is using a stethoscope or excuse me, he's in the process of taking Margaret's blood pressure. Mm-hmm. But and he goes to take his blo- or as he's pumping up the cuff. He doesn't have on. He does, he's not wearing a stethoscope. Oh, so he's not. Got to have her, a stethoscope in he's order not to doing determine her blood pressure. Right. He's no. Pulse. He's he's, he's doing no. He has the cuff on her and everything. He starts you know mm-hmm. pumping it up or whatever. But he's not wearing a stethoscope to be able to hear the, the pulse. You know the pulse or whatever. Yeah. Yep. You gotta you gotta count that or something to mm-hmm. get the one of the readings. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, the other thing I noticed is that he put the cuff around her forearm, not her upper arm. Like down here? Yep. Can't oh. do it down here. Below the elbow. Correct. This would be up above the elbow. Yeah, it's supposed to be, yep, around the upper arm to take an accurate blood pressure reading. Unless you're doing one of those wrist ones. But well, it could I, be. I heard they're not very accurate, and they probably didn't have them back in the 50s. Yeah, I, that's, I had this as an okay episode. I've still got <laughs> quite a few notes. Go for it. Let's see here. When Colonel Blake is making an announcement over the PA, Hawk says, I thought it was Major Bose. This is your commanding officer, Colonel Blake. I thought it was Major Bose. Okay. Uh, as I'm, in the Bose speaker know, Well, that's what I'm guessing that by Bose, he means Bose Corporation, which makes sound-related products. Although Amar Gopal Bose was alive, he didn't start Bose Corporation until 1964. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Radar let him know about it. Yeah, exactly. It's Again, he's, <laughs> he's bringing all kinds of stuff back with the DeLorean. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Well, Hulan is giving her brief speech about her nurses being women, desirable women, most of you. I thought that was rather quite rude. Most of you? He, yeah. She actually says that. She says, you know, you're women, desirable women, most of you. 
Yeah, that's and that's I, I just I thought that was that was incredibly unprofessional, unmilitary. That was out of character for her. Yeah, she's usually depending on the episode, she's usually standing up for her nurses. Yeah. Although if she's she has displayed again and again, if you're not working up to her standards, she is not very nice at all. Like the one nurse uh, I forget what episode it was. The nurse was doing something in OR uh, I believe it was with Frank. I think it was Frank asked for medicine bomb scissors, and she gave him medicine bomb scissors, and he's like, that's not what I need. And, she, you know, she's like, well, that's what you asked for. Well, give me what I need, not what I asked for. And she says something, and, and Margaret puts her on a report. I want her placed under bed arrest. Bed what? When she's not on duty and other than at mealtimes, she is to sit on the edge of her bed at attention for one month. So if you get in her bad graces, she's not a pleasant person. Yeah, that's true. Maybe there was somebody and she knew, you know, you knew who I'm talking about, you, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, and I mean, even even if one of her nurses perhaps may not have been in her graces, to insult one of her nurses' looks. True. I mean, I think that just that right there alone, I think, is credibly is just unprofessional on so many levels. Agreed. You know, 100 percent. Yep. Uh, let's see. What do I have here? Um, OK. After sampling the new gin that they just made and disliking it, Hawkeye says, am I condemned to drinking Vitalis on the rocks? Well, in my research, Vitalis might be hair tonic. <laughs> that blue stuff? Sure. Why not? Oh, no. That's. Wait a minute. Yeah, there you go. Hair tonic. <laughs> wow, that hurts. <laughs> oh, man. I am. Re- oh, that hurts. I am removing that my and sampling it as its cheeks. own little thing, and I will send it to you. <laughs> All right. I also have some other, uh, some more notes here. Um, while giving radar, while giving radar his physical, Colonel Blake tells Radar to strip to his waist. Radar replies, "Bare naked, sir." And Henry replies, "Radar, I'm not casting for the Zigfield Follies." The Zigfield Follies were a series of elaborate theatrical review productions on Broadway in New York City from 1907 to 31, and among other things, they were famous for their display of many beautiful chorus girls, known as the Zigfield Girls, who wore elaborate costumes. Nice. Um, Yeah, when Frank tries to give Trapper his physical, he says, into your birthday suit. Seems odd that he would be asked to get naked in the tent with the flaps rolled up for all to see. (laughs) Of course, Frank's not the one doing it, so what does he care? Right. <laughs> and my last note here, when Klinger tried to take the, make the doctors think he had rotatory sclerosis, or excuse me, scoliosis, excuse mm-hmm. me, uh, Hawkeye says that he can still see the ink touched up on the x-ray. How do you touch up an x-ray to make the spine have a curve in it? Well. Go ahead. An, try an, to explain this one. Okay. An x-ray is basically light and dark areas. Mm-hmm. Okay. The bones being the the brighter areas and the mm-hmm. dark being the not. Mm-hmm. If you had a dark marker, ink pen, whatever, and you had the bone and you colored it in mm-hmm. for a a curve, for it to have a curve, you you know, remove some space. But you would have had at some point you would have had to have white ink to add to make the bones look curved. Mm-hmm. Otherwise all you're doing is you're just covering up the bone. If you did it correctly, yeah, if you gave it an arch he didn't say it was done well. well <laughs> he said he could Well, clearly see it wasn't because he could see the ink. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, fun episode. You know, I enjoyed it. He wrote on it, curved. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It has a curve. See? <laughs> All right, get your flow. Get my flow. Mm-hmm. Yo, flow. Episode number eight. 
Number eight, Life with Father. October 29th, 1974, directed by Mr. Hi Everback. Hi, Yay. hi. I wonder if anybody ever said hi, hi. Probably. <laughs> Don't do that. Henry suspects his wife is having an affair. <sighs> Hawk searches for president's faces to try to win a pony. And Father Mulcahy officiates a bris with the radio help of a rabbi on an aircraft carrier. USS Essex. Yes. This is this is the episode that we're all like, Henry, how could you possibly be mad at your wife having an affair when you constantly have affairs? Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, we'll get to the end there. But uh, mm-hmm. Father McKay, he has a sister. She's a nun named Maria Angelica or Kathy. Because I Maria Angelica is her nun name, I guess. Uh, she wants to leave the nunship. Is she mentioned before? I don't think she's mentioned before. Is she mentioned again? Mm. He has a sister? Yeah. I don't recall. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, there are ten president's faces that uh, Hawkeye is looking for in this picture. Sort of a... Uh, if you ever have what's that magazine that you find in the dentist's office or whatever highlights highlights magazine highlights, highlights for, for kids yeah, yeah you know you get that back cover where you oh yes search the picture for the hidden picture yeah, within yeah. the picture uh, president's faces Coolidge Calvin Coolidge the thirtieth president Teddy Roosevelt the twenty sixth president Miller Fillmore the thirteenth Ulysses S Grant the eighteenth only four of the ten are mentioned. But they did end up finding all ten. Okay. And I think they mailed it in. They didn't actually get a pony, did they? <laughs> there is a scene at the end of the episode um, that um, Hawkeye is seen on a, on a full-size white horse. Mm. Says we have to practice for our pony. Is it? Uh, no. What What was Potter's horse's name? Sophie. Sophie. Yep. Was no, it, it was not Sophie because this was an actual white horse. And, you know, Trapper can be seen... You know, he says, come on, get on. And so he goes walking several feet behind the horse, turns around and runs towards the horse and manages to actually get to jump and get himself up onto the horse. Mm. And I wonder how many takes there were for that. Because <laughs> that was impressive. I want to see the one I mean, the horse the hor- I mean, he did because the horse had no saddle or anything. There was none of that on the horse. This was just the horse. And I think there might have been maybe he had the, the rope around or whatever, the piece that helps. The bit. Yeah, the yeah. bit in the horse's mouth, whatever. So, but maybe. yeah, it's I just can't help but wonder how many times it took him to get that right. Because that does not look easy. Oh, I'm sure I couldn't it's have not. done it. I, I mean, you got to jump. A horse is easily five or six feet tall in, yeah. in the back end. Yeah. So. <laughs> I know it's done by hands, but I don't know how big a hand Yep. It's supposed to be. But, yeah, that's a jump. Okay, let's see here. I have first appearance by Sashiko. I hope I'm saying her name right. Penny Lee as Kim Sa, who is the Korean mother whose child is about to receive a bris. Yay. Uh, the ship identified as the USS Essex CV-9 is actually the USS Yorktown CV-10, hmm. if you if you notice. The scene is from the Academy Award-nominated short subject documentary film, Jet Character. The Yorktown is on public display in Charleston, South Carolina. Cool. Yep, and just as you mentioned a little bit ago, I put down such hypocrisy of Henry to worry about his wife cheating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Henry is talking with with Trap and Hawk about his fears that his wife is cheating uh, during their card game. And Hawk states, 
You're doing a Jack story, Henry. You The Jack story is you obsess over the worst possibilities that can happen and you start to believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe this story comes from you're driving down the road and your car breaks down and you you have you have no jack in your car to to fix your tire to replace your tire so you go walking down the road to the nearest gas station uh, uh, mechanic shop whatever and the entire time you're like I hope they have a jack they're not going to have a jack they better have a jack. If they don't have a jack, and by the time you get there, you are just so pissed off, and you have just basically made yourself pissed off over something that you do not know about. Right. You get there, and they, oh, yeah, we have a jack. Here you go. Oh, thanks. And that's basically what Henry's doing. He's reading this letter that kind of alludes to his wife. Um, what's her name in this episode? <laughs> Lorraine. Because it's Mildred. Yeah, well, first it's Mildred, then, then it becomes Lorraine. Lorraine. Yep. Mildred left him. Yeah. <laughs> Not surprising. Right. She just kind of alludes to, she doesn't say it flat out that she's having an affair. And yeah, he's just, at, at first, she says, go ahead. If you find somebody, Henry, Henry, go ahead. It'll be okay. I'll understand. And at first, he's happy about it. He's like, oh, I just got permission from my wife to, to fool around. To fool around. And then he's like, why? Why is she giving me permission? What did. Did she meet somebody? And then she he starts going through all the the people that work at the country mm-hmm. club, which he states uh, the country club is $1,000 to join and $150 a month. $1,000 in today's money is 11500 and $150 a month in today's money is $1,700 a month. Green fees. That is an expensive country club. Seventeen hundred dollars a month. <laughs> um, I remember watching That's a couple car payments. <laughs> after I watched the the last time I watched uh, Caddyshack, I, they talked about you know how exclusive the the mm-hmm. fictional uh, country club was in the movie and so forth. And I actually looked it up, and I just I think I I think I googled something like you know most expensive country club or something like that, someplace out in like Montana or Utah or some I forget exactly where it was, Colorado maybe, but it was like six figures. Whoosh. Yeah. And Jeez. I and then I think, you know, there was green there might have been green fees on top of that. Probably. Yeah. I and mean, it's just like and I'm just like I you know I'm not a sports person, you know that, but I mean I like watching golf because it relaxes me, you know. But at the same time it's like even if I love to play golf, I just <laughs> six figures to join a country club when I can right. just go to any golf course and play. I mean, if you have money, people yeah, will let you spend it. I know. <laughs> on no matter on whatever you want. I know. <laughs> so um interesting thing here, uh, this was something I found in research. The there in this episode, Trapper and Hawkeye mention Captain Forrest, who is one of the main characters in the novel, Mash novel, and the movie that we don't talk about. Maybe she's looking for Captain Forrest. Who? The brain surgeon who fell down a lot. No, he's been gone over two years. He's got a toy store now. Ah, yes. <laughs> Let's see what else. Um, when Radar places the call to Henry's home in Bloomington, Illinois, he tells Lieutenant Colonel Henry Blake that he will only have two minutes to speak to his wife. The time from when Henry picks up the receiver until he loses the connection with Lorraine is, in fact, almost exactly two minutes. Cool. Mm-hmm. I like it when they do that. Yep. And let's see what else. When first seeing the aircraft carrier, because they show some footage, you know, while they're trying to get Corporal Lieutenant somebody on the Essex who is performing the bris, you know, oh, over, yeah. over the, the line. The rabbi. Right. Um, we see in that aircraft carrier, you can see a twin rotor aircraft called a Chinook. 
which is the helicopter that has two blades, one at the front and then at the back, but they're both facing upward. Oh, okay. Yeah, they use that to, like, transport, you know, um, uh, soldiers and so forth. However, the Chinook wasn't actually produced until the 60s. Oops. Well. I know, it's devils in the details. It's hard hard to find bee footage. Yep, let's see. What else? Uh, When searching for a rabbi to officiate the abris, uh, Father Mulcahy tells Radar to try the Navy, try the Marines. The Marines don't have a chaplain corps. Navy chaplains handle all religious activities for the Marine Corps. The Navy? Mm -hmm. Oh. Well, there you go. That's what it says. Okay. So now, of course, that could have changed. I mean, this is, you know, 1974, but, I mean, this could have changed till today. I mean, every um, oh, yeah. every branch of the military maybe have their own chaplain service. Maybe. Which seems like, they, it seems logical to me that they would do something like that. They are they are doing the bris, and one of the things that is mentioned is put a drop of wine in the baby's mouth. You'd think they'd give him something stronger considering what they're doing to him. <laughs> uh, I thought it was an interesting choice to not have the baby crying even though like you know, yeah when he ouch. does what he does yeah, yeah but they did have the baby crying when they were when that one baby they took the uh the blood test from mm-hmm. i think was the potential radar baby yes yes yeah they did have it cry in that scene though yep. it's like okay probably different directors though yeah maybe but i thought that was an interesting choice it's like yeah don't have the baby crying uh good episode no one seems interested in in henry's wife problems because I think he's doing a Jack story. Uh, I think at the end of this episode, when he's talking to Lorraine, my impression, even though I didn't seem to write it down, no, is that she confesses to it. Do you? Do you yeah, think there. That? She. Yeah, she. He calls when he calls Lorraine at home. Mm-hmm. She mentions a movie called Brief Encounter. I mean, your letter today, uh, your last letter. Well, now, it could be interpreted as, uh, who? Al Franklin? Do I know him? Yeah, I know him. Uh, tall guy, 12 handicap, drives a yellow jag. The, uh, the pumpkin dance at the country club? Uh-huh. Lorraine, an orthodontist. <laughs> well, well, I mean, do- honey, don't, don't cry. Please don't cry. All right, Lorraine. Go ahead, cry. Yeah. Yes, I I know the movie. Brief Encounter. Well, what a... Well, Lorraine, I mean, that's only a movie. I... Yeah. So, so I, we, we have confirmation... That, yep, that they're she, both they're both cheating on each yep. other. Well, at least now it's now and, it's even. You and know? we also well we also know, and we don't know if she knows, but he has cheated in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe the episode "A Smattering of Intelligence" is when we find out Colonel Fly or not Colonel Fly was the G two guy, Victor Benny Pratt, Benny Vinny, uh, who had the the microphones, mm-hmm. the recordings from yeah, his in, previous from the hotel to. Uh, affairs that he's had with uh, the different women. So it's like, I wonder if she knew about those or whatever, but it really makes you think whether or not, or at least how sad his wife is right. at the end of this season. Yeah. <laughs> Foreshadowing for the, 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 <laughs> for this wonderful season. And this is the end of ep- of episode three, Part one, we're going to try to do this in, in, in smaller sections so that you can listen to them and enjoy them in little shorter increments. So Yeah, we're trying to protect you from boredom. <laughs>
Useless. Useless. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, for The Mash Files, Episode 3, Part 1, I am Seabus Brian, here I'm with... Seabus John. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you in Part 2.